This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Listening to ourselves, listening to intuition, listening to universe. Valeria Tellez interviews A.Y. Berthume, the author of Dear Universe, I Get It Now, Letters on the Art and Journey of Being Brave and Being Me. A.Y. Berthume is a professional writer, native Vermonter, practicing feminist, recovering middle child, wannabe superhero, and a mom who's pretty sure she's winging it. She holds an MFA in creative writing and is the lady boss owner of The Right Place, Right Time, her virtual boutique of ghostwriting services. Whether she's writing for herself or her clients, Berthium believes in emotionally compelling, honest, and powerful stories that are told in an authentic voice, come straight from the heart, and celebrate bravery, grit, and hope. If you can catch her not doing all the things, she's probably drinking maple lattes in a coffee shop, getting lost in a bookstore, or binge-watching something on Netflix in her sweatpants while she eats ridiculous amounts of movie theater-style popcorn. Meet Berthium at aybirthium.com. Here is the interview with A.Y. Berthium. In your own words, who is A.Y. Berthium? Uh, A.Y. Berthium is a brave, resilient uh, writer and mom and uh, native Vermonter, recovering middle child, a feminist and uh, a wannabe superhero. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we describe the superhero and the feminist. And this is something that I often don't talk about, feminism. For some reason, it doesn't come up. So let me ask you the question, what is feminism? What is your own perspective on feminism? My perspective on feminism is really that uh, women receive the same rights and privileges and care as their male counterparts, and that women's rights are human rights, and that we deserve the same place in a variety of industries and fields and institutions and shouldn't be overlooked simply because of the way that we identify our gender or the body parts that we have. And this is something that still happens, right? Why? It's still there. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's so prevalent. And I wish I didn't keep reading stories of... Right, of right. these things. But I think when you look at the glass ceiling in different industries or you look at um, U.S. politics and the underrepresentation of women in leadership positions um, on the level where policy is being made that's supposed to impact all people and yet people in the room 
aren't representing the people that they're supposed to be representing, you know, and obviously violence against women and harassment and just a number of a variety of issues, I think, shows that there's still a need in place for feminism in its core beliefs, which is that women women should be held equal. Yes, I agree. And do you see any movement toward change in this area? I think we are starting to see more women believe that they can be in politics. And I think with that, it will path, it will pave the way for others to jump on the path. Um, and I think that's where we really need women the most is in those positions of power to make decisions. So I think that we've we've seen some change and some momentum, but there's still a lot of work to be done. I think that the Me Too movement has, you know, kind of spread across the globe. Uh, sometimes it's not me too. I think in Australia recently, and it was enough is enough, you know, but I think these different types of movements as they're happening are definitely showing that women are less likely to be silent than they were before. It's not that silence doesn't continue to happen, but we're starting to leverage our voices in different ways. And I also think that technology and the way that we can connect across countries and across the uh, and across the globe in in more powerful ways also allows for a faster speed of change than perhaps you know original grassroots movements that really was all about hitting the pavement and picketing and and um you know reaching people in in much longer you know snail mail kind of capacities what do you love most about being in a human female body I think that there's there's an incredible strength and uh, miraculousness of being in a female body. Uh, I'm fortunate enough that this female body that I have is capable of bearing children. So um, in that way, the you know the strength of being able to carry a human life, is something that I could not have possibly put words to before it occurred. And even even in having my son and unfortunately miscarrying a second, there's still something incredibly powerful about what the female body is capable of. So I'm wondering if we, do we miss something that is, uh, I mean, extremely important and special? in being a female body, or somehow we can experience that kind of joy in different ways? I think that we can experience that kind of joy in different ways. You know, I think not everybody uh, wants to be a parent. Um, so there's that, there's a choice. Not everybody's body is uh, able to have children for a variety of reasons, right? That doesn't make those bodies less beautiful or less inspiring or less meaningful. Um, I think that there's obviously circumstance, right? You know, maybe we want children, but uh, it doesn't happen for some reason or not. And I think that, you know, we find meaning and joy and beauty and strength um, in ourselves and in our bodies in just in different ways. 2020 has been this very different time for all of us, challenges in, in change. For you, what insights have you gained and what has changed? 2020 was interesting. Uh, so as a mom, I can kind of look at this from different perspectives. As a mom, what 2020 and the global pandemic offered to me 
though it was it was an interesting gift actually. So before the here I'm in Vermont in the United States and before our state decided that we were going to go into stay-at-home measures and daycares and schools and all these places where you usually send your children during the day um, closed, I had actually written on a heart-shaped post-it note that I wanted more time with my son before he went to full-time kindergarten in the fall. And I put that heart-shaped post-it note inside a, a journal with some other kind of intentions for the year or something. And I don't think it was a week later <laughs> when daycares closed. <laughs> wow. And um, he was home with me <laughs> a lot. And yeah. at first it was really, it was really a struggle because I was running a business from my house and I didn't have to get used to that so much. But all of a sudden I was trying to figure out how do I keep my business going. I'm a, I'm, you know, a solopreneur. I'm self-employed. The only way that I keep, you know, food on the table, right, is by working. And yet I have this very important job as a mom to make sure that his needs are taken care of. And how do I, how do I juggle and balance all of this? And, um, it was not easy. There were definitely challenging days, but gosh, did we have so many magical moments that I feel we wouldn't have captured had the circumstances been differently. So we had lots of days inside the, you know, this pop-up tent and we built uh -huh. forts and we created a hopscotch <laughs> um, on the carpet out of masking tape. Wow. And we, we created a huge mural in the hall out of construction paper that looked like a towering tree and tall grass. And we went on walks and we inspected pine cones and bugs. And um, so there was a really magical time for he and I in all of that. And it really helped to be kind of um, focused on childhood wonder and curiosity, to be in the moment, to be grateful that we were healthy, that we had a safe house to be in for the duration of the time that we needed to be, that the people that we loved while we couldn't see them were also safe where they were. So there was a lot of gratitude and uh, looking at things through a lens of, uh, you know, a very specific perspective, focusing on blessings and silver linings versus the trauma and the tension and the stress that obviously was, was there, um, you know, in the midst of this pandemic. But, you know, there was also a lot of gifts as a result of this pandemic and a lot of things that I think individually, but also culturally that we can we can gain from um, COVID-19 and how it's shifted things. From a, from a business perspective, it actually ended up being a really wonderful year because it forced me to get really creative and think outside of the normal box. Um, and so I ended up having a really tremendous revenue generating year with my small business despite the challenges. And I would not have predicted that going into, uh, going into 2020. So, um, per usual, the universe does offer us <laughs> gifts through the messes <laughs> in life, if we are willing to see them and accept them. So that seems to me like the universe played a part. <laughs> so you wrote the book, Dear Universe, I Get It Now, Letters on the Art and Journey of Being Brave and Being Me. So Talk to me for a moment about your idea of what the universe is. 
so I grew up Catholic and, um, for, you know, being Catholic kind of came with a very specific, uh, prescribed set of ideas around, uh, religion and God and faith and, um, that kind of thing. But I've always been a curious person and I've always believed that it can't quite be that simple. Yeah. <laughs> I, right, um, I right. feel like, you know, the, the world is a complex place and we are complex beings and, you know, whatever happens beyond the physical realm that we can see has got to also be very complex to have created such complex right. beings. Right. And I think Somewhere along the way, as I kind of veered away from straight up Catholicism to trying to understand more what I believed, I think I came to this place where I was like, you know what? I kind of think that God is like part of a boardroom and there's like a bunch of other people at the (laughs) table. And I think he's only one of the players. Like, I think free will's in there hanging out, like, you know, has some voting rights and, um, you know, fate has some voting rights and mother nature's in there somehow. Um, so I kind of see the universe and God as being separate, but joint forces and, um, kind of all a part of this, this blueprint that our souls are given, you know, before we make it here. And so it's kind of fuzzy still for me even, but, um, I, I see the universe as being, uh, definitely a huge part of the equation. It's there. It's energetic. It's spiritual. It's metaphysical. It's, um, well beyond comprehension. Uh, it's, it's magnificent and enormous. Um, and I don't know, it's just always felt really authentic to me, I guess. Once I realized that this whole time that I've been journaling, that I've been writing to somebody or something, and realizing that it wasn't actually that I was writing to some other version of myself, but that I was writing to some other higher version of space and time, I was like, it feels really authentic that it be the universe, that it's not necessarily God, um, but something way bigger than my own, my own existence and comprehension. And, and once the, the title of the book came to me in the vision, and I started to really reflect on what the book wanted to be, and what was this, and I started to have all these kind of aha moments, I was like, oh, I think I've been writing to the universe the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) It seems to me like when writing, there's something about writing that is so mysterious. From my experience, it has been, it's just the books I wrote, they just wrote themselves. They ended up just becoming something that I didn't didn't expect them to become. Yeah, that might be what you call the universe playing the part. Everything it is the universe, as I tend to think that what is not the universe. So talk to me for a moment about the main inspiration and intention of writing your book. Interestingly enough, the main intention of the book originated by um, knowing I wanted to write other women's stories um, ghostwrite other women's stories. And I thought, well, geez, if I'm going <laughs> to, if I'm going to do that, I should probably like prove to these hypothetical people that, uh, not only do I know what I'm doing, but that I have the courage and vulnerability to honor my own stories with a book, uh, before I try to sell them on the fact that I'm going to do it for them. So the book originated as just like, I need to write a book 
I need to do this thing for my business. I need to do this marketing. I was, I was calling it a marketing activity for a really long time. I need to do this thing because I need to prove myself. And then, um, after I had that idea, I need to write this book. It was like a couple, couple weeks later after I had that initial kind of this, this needs to happen. Um, but it was the early morning hours right before the alarm went off. It tends to be when some of my best ideas come and, it just like, it just hit me, you know, this title, Dear Universe, and this black and white composition notebook cover. And I was like, okay, that's the book. Like, um, so this, this deep inner knowing and, um, and I thought, okay, I don't know what this means. (laughs) I I don't know what this book wants to be about. I have no idea, but I guess it will, it will make itself known. And over time it did. And once I got myself into the writing of it, I realized that this was not a marketing activity. I was telling myself it was a marketing activity because it was easier to reach than identifying that this was exactly what I had wanted to do my entire life was write a book. And I just needed to kind of like almost mentally trick myself into into going after that dream by saying, oh, this is a marketing activity and kind of holding it at a distance, you know, to keep it safe and to keep it doable and manageable and less overwhelming. And then once I got into and I started writing it and somebody called me out on it, they were like, let's call it what it is. Like, this is not a marketing activity. This is your soul. Like you're finally going after this lifelong dream. Like this isn't small, small fries, small, you know, um, this isn't a small thing that you're doing. This is a very big thing that you're doing. And then I, then I could recognize like, you're right. This is, this will benefit business. But now I realize this really is for me. And this is really to, um, grab a hold of that dream I had as a child and actualize it. Would you call that being authentic courage or what's the word for it? Trusting the knowing that is in your heart. What would you call it? That kind of, um, of action I have heard that before. Love is action. So, yeah. I think, I think, um, gosh, it's a lot of things. Uh, definitely trust is a part of that. It's a, it's not just a trust in yourself that you can do something, but a trust that you've been given guidance that that's the direction you're supposed to go. So when the vision of the name of the book and the book cover came to me, I knew that was some sort of sign that this was the beginning of some journey I was about to go on (laughs) and that, that it was likely going to be the form of a book. Um, and so each time something felt right, it just felt like another sign. And the more that I trusted the signs, like the, the more that it, you know, seemed authentic and the braver that I got. So I guess it's all three things, but definitely trust first. And I think that, what was what was really interesting about this book, unlike a lot of other book projects that I had started, was that it felt really good every time I worked on it. I could feel as I was writing it that this was what it was supposed to be and it's what it wanted to be and that the story that needed to be told was the thing that was coming onto the page. And the more that I trusted that, the stronger the work got, the more I was able to decide what the next step was. And the more I put it in front of, you know, beta readers and editors and every time they would come back with such wonderful, amazing things to say about this book. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting. Um, and it's working out. Do you see the connection between healing and writing or journaling? 
Yes. I've actually seen that connection a really long time. When I was in college, I was studying both writing and psychology. And for a while, I really wanted to do a bunch of research just on like the healing properties of writing, like how writing would, you know, lend itself to, you know, rehabilitation or, you know, positive mindset, which would enable healing or whatever. I never got around to doing that research. But what I did do one summer as an intern with um, the geriatric population in a rehab facility was I created this this program that was called HUGS, which was an acronym for healing, uniting, growing, and sharing. And the premise of it was that through writing and the arts, um, happiness and camaraderie and joy could be found for the residents of these of, of these rehabilitation centers who were often without visitors for days, um, if they were visited at all, who could have been struggling at that point in their lives with dementia or um you know, any number of, of things. And, you know, I would go around and I would help them with their poetry or they would dictate to me a memory that they wanted to be captured into a story. And it was the most magnificent experience because these elderly people who have lived a thousand lives, it felt like, you know, I was in my twenties and they were well into their eighties or whatever, had such rich things still that they were, Um, holding on to memories or experiences or one woman was close to a hundred and she could still recite Longfellow poetry um, from start to finish and just such rich wonder in each of them. And they were so excited to have somebody pay attention to what it was that they had to say and to offer. And I thought, wow, like not only is there power through word, whether it's me writing it or them writing it, but there's power to just being seen and heard. And writing is that basically, you know, writing is putting something on to the page and you yourself can be seen or heard through writing, but somebody else can feel seen or heard by what they read if they feel like the the person who wrote it, like wrote it for them. So I think that that a lot of healing in a lot of different ways um, is the very experience of being recognized in one's pain or trauma or suffering. And I think writing has the power to do that. I have a question for you about the trust that you speak of, the trust, trust in the universe. Is that somehow a spiritual practice to you? I think I've actually developed it more as a practical practice. <laughs> I like um, that too. <laughs> I think I've learned I've learned to trust through having seen how many times I didn't trust. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and yeah. um I think I read somewhere it was a quote recently in working with a client, something about um the like something along the lines of the pain is in the resisting. And so basically essentially like in allowing or in in releasing um our need for control, right, is pretty much where all the good stuff lives, you know, all all the next moments, the the next moves that we need to make. And I think in resisting or in trying to go traditional paths or meet the expectations that the other people set or do the things that I feel like are next on the to-do list based on some sort of cultural understanding of, of what you're supposed to do when you reach a certain age or a certain milestone, you know, none of that has ever worked out for me. (laughs) And 
I think when anytime I was being true to myself or authentic to what I wanted or following like my heart and my gut and where I felt I should go, that was when stuff felt like it was aligned and I felt like more satisfied and more happy. And, um, and so I think I learned trust the hard way. And then once I learned to trust myself, I think I recognized that it wasn't so much always trusting myself, but trusting that higher power. And then I could lean in and I could, I could see how this was, was a much bigger spiritual experience than I had ever given it credit for. There's another component of that, which is self-love. I can see that in your writings too. Talk to me for a moment about unconditional self-love. I think unconditional self-love is something that requires commitment and effort. Um, It is very easy to, I'm going to say, digest uh, other people's perceptions of you or other people's narratives, um, stories, uh, generational ideas that have been passed down, cultural norms that are forced down our throats, and yet to take take a step away from all of that requires effort and courage and commitment and confidence and a lot of things that can be really hard to attain when you've got all that noise <laughs> and chaos and pressure uh, around you and a lot of fear around maybe walking away from people that don't serve you but that you're related to perhaps or you've spent a lot of time investing in the relationship with them. So I don't think it's an easy thing. I, I think there's a lot of room for error and challenge, but I don't think it's not, I don't think it's not attainable. I just think that you have to know I am going to choose to love myself today and this is what it looks like for me and I'm going to do my best. And it's not that we're going to be perfect at loving ourselves just as we're not perfect at loving anybody else. But I think if we don't love ourselves, um, then, uh, then that affects our whole, I think our whole world. I think it's kind of like the analogy of, you know, um, if the plane is going down, you're supposed to put your oxygen mask on yourself first because you can't help anybody else. You know, if you, if you yourself are without air and, I kind of think the epitome of unconditional self-love is is to take care of yourself on all the different planes, you know, physical, mental, emotional, and then take care of others. But um, I think a lot of society and culture places the emphasis on everybody else first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you're almost going against the yeah. grain <laughs> being like, no, I want to take care of my needs and I'm going to set boundaries. And, <laughs> and, um, uh, true. and so it's an incredible act, I think, of bravery and courage. But I also think it's one of the hardest ones. And why do you think that is? This has been the legacy of taking care of others first. Where did that come from? Um, I'm going to go with cavemen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's probably some sort of like primal survival (laughs) kind of thing. Like our tribe can't, you know, sustain itself if we let all of the, you know, we let everybody be eaten by the bears or the dinosaurs or like whoever. Um, So we better be looking out for each other or, and I think, you know, somewhere along the way it morphed to like take care of all others and, you know, save yourself for last. (laughs) Um. I also think to some extent, you know, 
and I can't speak necessarily for all cultures, but, um, you know, kind of Western American culture, I think, you know, is predominantly, there's a lot of like Puritanism in the back in, you know, in the history and, um, obviously patriarchy. And I think that there's, you know, some narratives and beliefs that probably stem from those two kind of, uh, arenas that lend themselves to like, you know, um, like men get their needs met, women take care of everybody else's needs. And then that's women kind of burnt out and left aside because they've been trying to like hold up all of society on their shoulders. Um, that's not to say that men don't have their own challenges because they've got their own stereotypes about what, what, what it means to be masculine, you know, quote unquote. Um, so they also have to figure out what it means to love themselves and to be whoever they need to be that doesn't have to prescribe to cultural ideas. But, um, yeah, I think, I think we've kind of all created this monster for each other and now we've got some serious untangling to do. What about the purpose of life, Elisa? What do you think that is? Gosh, I had a feeling you were going to ask me that question. So I was actually thinking yeah, about <laughs> shower, um, <laughs> where I also do some of my best thinking. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, that what, what came to me in that moment was that the, the purpose of life, I think, is to leave your mark, um, leave your mark and and live, uh, which I know sounds kind of silly, like the purpose of life is to live. But what I mean by that, well, number one, leaving your mark, I think means each of us has a gift and each of us has a contribution that we can make either to one other person or to the masses. And I think there's something that, that we offer to somebody else that touches their soul in a way that maybe others haven't. And there's, there's love there. And I think love kind of transcends all things. Um, so there's, there's that piece, but the, to live peace means like, um, rather than go through this existence that we get, um, and either you believe perhaps that you only get the one earthly existence and then that's it, or you could believe that you get to come back several times, um, and you've got past lives and future lives and, you know, so whatever, whatever belief system you kind of, uh, you know, lean into, I think, you know, however many times you're here in this early journey, like, wow, what a freaking amazing adventure that you get to go on. So why, why pass that time by, which inevitably goes way too quickly, no matter how long we think, you know, life is going to be, why pass that time being unhappy or feeling stuck or being angry with one another or hateful or intolerant. Um, and I, and I will say that, that the caveat of course, is that we all have different, um, privileges or lack of privileges. And so it's not just easy to like shake off and like, go do the thing that we're really passionate about all the time, you know, because each of our worlds is different in terms of what we're able to do based on circumstances sometimes. But, um, I also think that we always have choices about how we respond to our circumstances. So, you know, live like don't don't let the opportunity to be here on this earth go by uh, being the debbie downer or the you know, one upper or you know whatever it is like live and be joyful and go after the things that set your soul on fire and make the most of it because you don't know how long you have and and you don't know if you're coming back 
Boy, I have lots of notes that I made you about your book. I love when you say listening to ourselves, listening to our intuition, listening to the universe. I love that for some, it's so profound because it goes back to what life is all about. Yeah. Just being connected to who we are, knowing oneself. And I love the questions you have throughout the book, chapters you have, questions for your path to bravery, mm-hmm. and tons of them. This I wrote here some that caught my attention. I love this one where you ask, how do you honor the difficult parts of your journey? How can you integrate them with your life? Today, how do you honor the journey that you've been through and how do you integrate everything? Well, the most immediate example comes to mind is that so April, April is Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. Um, and I'm a sexual assault survivor, which I talk about in the book. And for a really long time, I, I you know kept this a secret from my family. And then I finally told my family and And then once I got through kind of those first couple of stages, you know, kind of like shame and denial, then like acceptance and, um, you know, revealing or disclosure, you know, finally over to the other side of like, okay, well now what do I do with this, um, this moment, you know, in time that doesn't, that, that shapes me, but doesn't define me, which I think is a really big difference. Uh, how do I use that to, to turn it into something that's for the force of good. And to me, that is kind of like the, the epitome of um, honoring the difficult and integrating with, with the now. And so uh, this month, actually, uh, all the proceeds of Dear Universe, so any of, the, any of the book sales for Dear Universe, are going directly to an organization that helps sexual assault survivors. And so to me, that's that's one example of how you can you can do something in the form of advocacy, um, you know, to kind of honor that, hey, I went through this, but I'm here and I'm standing and I'm powerful. And yes, that was a really crappy thing that happened. And it was and it was painful. But um, I am not at my rock bottom. I'm here and I can claim it. And it doesn't have to be my entire identity. And more than that, I can actually do something to inspire hope for others or to inspire change or to, um, you know, uh, take one action, one action that I can take to help this cause that I care about. And sometimes it can be smaller ways. Sometimes it doesn't have to be public or um front facing, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, sometimes honoring your difficult experiences and integrating them um, can mean more like maybe every year around that anniversary of that thing, you write a letter to yourself and you let the you now know or, or, you know, how powerful you are for getting here to this moment. Or maybe you write a letter to yourself from then and say, hey, if I had known now, <laughs> or if I had known then what I know now, then I would tell you, you're going to be okay. Um, so I think that there's lots of, there's big ways and little ways, but I think the most important piece is recognizing that your darkest moments don't have to keep you in the dark and that there, there is light on the other side. If you, if you follow, you know, you follow your way towards it. I love that, Elisa. Thank you for the wisdom, which I call divine wisdom, and also the generosity 
that idea of sharing what you know with everyone, that's also divine to me. So we have all these questions. They're profound. They made me think. You have the fun parts in, in the end, challenges to advance your bravery. And you have bravery boosters for intermediates, bravery boosters for beginners. And I love the one you have a challenge. You have sing out loud with the windows rolled down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I was laughing at that. Like That's cute. The road trip going, just going on a trip by yourself. That is so healing to getting to know who we are. So you are a lot of fun in a very meaningful way. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's very playful, light. So I have a few more questions for you. We're almost at the end. But before I ask them, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Oh, my gosh. No, I'm just having so much fun answering your questions. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I really appreciate that you've you found such meaning in it while it was also um, light and playful. You know, is there was a lot of yeah. heavy topics in right, the right. book. And um, it was a real it was a real effort to balance kind of the light and the dark, right? Like showing us the three-dimensionality of the human experience um, in powerful ways. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. You did that beautifully. And I love the letter 23, the final thank you you have there. Would you like to read that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that would be great. Letter 23, final thank you. Dear universe, I just wanted to thank you. You gave me so many gifts. I have this powerful voice that can be used as an agent of change for creating connection and community, for advocacy, for inspiration. I have this natural knack with people to see them and hear them, to draw from their stories, their light and darkness, and to hold space with them. I have this way of wielding words so I may capture truth, beauty, hope, love, determination, resiliency, tribulation on the page, and commit people's voices and messages to memory. You have given me all I need to make for myself a life I can be proud of, a life full of meaning, wonder, adventure, connection, and love, a life of my own design. You have given me the strength to keep going, to be brave, and to model for my son what it means to listen to your heart and stand in your own power. You have led me everywhere I've needed to be, and you have brought me here. I get that now. With love and gratitude, A.Y., professional writer. <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah, that really sums up. If we all can do that, be grateful for everything we've been through, the lessons we have learned that we have opened up, we have allowed ourselves to learn, then, yeah, that to me, that's living. We can avoid challenges. Some of them are inevitable and pain is part of life. Suffering is not. I don't think it is, but pain it is. So the few questions I have for you, let me, yeah, let me ask two questions. What is another word for healing? Mm. Discovery. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? Hmm. I think the hardest lesson to learn about myself um, so the hardest lesson to learn has been 
that I don't know how to slow down. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. um, yeah. yeah, I'm, and I talk about in the book, I have, I have, you know, achievement identity. So I'm a classic overachiever and I'm constantly going after the next thing. And then I get there and I check it off and, and there's a little celebration because I'm thinking about the next thing that I need to do. And so while I can promote the, you know, be in the moment and be present. And I understand all of that. It is a real struggle for me to be on, like, be aware of when I slide into the kind of over-accomplishment mode um, and out of more kind of joy, ease, alignment. And that can be, that can be difficult to, to maneuver. The more I hear you talk about this, I'm thinking, how oh, am I, am I celebrating all the things that I have accomplished or where I am now? Am I stopping to pausing? Yeah, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Maybe not. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all have something. Yeah. Thank you for the reminder, Elisa. And my last question to you is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Oh my gosh, I feel like I just wrote this down in a journal. Um, three <laughs> things about life that I know for sure. Um, three things about life that I know for sure. The first is that you are never too old and it's never too late. I think that we, you know, I don't know why, but... Um, <laughs> something happens as we get older that it's like all of a sudden you, you, people think that you could, you just stop trying or something like you mm -hmm. can't go yeah. after mm -hmm. dreams or, yeah. or new ventures because you're older. And like, what's the point? But I think that that's, I think that that's silly. Um, so no matter, no matter what, it's, it's never too late. And you're not too old. Um, the second thing is, uh, there's beauty in our messes. Sometimes I think there's more beauty in our messes than when things are just like easygoing and joyful all the time. Um, you know, I think that the the transformation and growth tends to come out of the mess and that's where the beauty is. Um, so that would be the second thing. The third thing that I know for sure, I think the thing that's coming to me, the third thing that I know for sure is that no matter the quality of other people does not mean that you have to change who you are or uh, limit or minimize yourself to match the crowd that you are in. I really love your message, though. It's one of truth, you know, staying connected to the heart, listening to yourself, um, wow, and being big time, brave, courageous. So we are basically daring to inspire, isn't it? By being courageous, that's what we do. We inspire others. Thank you so much for your presence, your beautiful work. I love your presence, though. You're fun. You're a lot of fun. Thank and you. meaningful, <laughs> spiritual fun. And your work. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you again. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So the best place for um, the Dear Universe book is to go to ayberthume.com backslash Dear Universe. Uh, but otherwise, I would love for people to find me over on my business website, and that's therightplacerighttime.com. And the first right is W-R-I-T-E, and the second one is R-I-G-H-T. 
T. Um, and again, that's the right place, right time.com. Wonderful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, Alisa. Thank you. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about A.Y. Berthium and her work, please visit aybirthium.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.